the democratic risk here in America as he continuously talks about the risk that Trump is, but ignoring his entire base and essentially burning his base and the vast majority of Democratic voters that support an end to this violence, support an immediate and permanent ceasefire. And it's creating a real risk that like Democrats lose the election because he is unserious about listening to Americans in battleground states, but just Americans in general. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast. It's a podcast. It's a live stream. It's your new favorite thing in 2024. Um, I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini, and I'm super happy to have you here. Super happy that you press play. I'm always grateful. And, um, you know, stay grateful. Hashtag blessed. Uh, grateful that you decided to spend your Tuesday here or your Wednesday or your Thursday or whenever the hell you're listening to this. A lot of you uh, play catch up with this, which is I'm like, why do I do a news show? <laughs> Everyone's heard these stories, but they haven't heard my unique take about them. We have such a good show. Um, former Biden administration official Tarek Habash is here. He resigned in protest over Biden's handling of Israel's assault on Gaza. Um, and uh, doesn't look like Biden is uh, listening much to his very own administration. So super grateful to have him here to break down why he left, what he was doing. He was in the DOE, Department of Ed. So um, maybe he can shed also some light on the good things along with all of the bad things um, that are coming down from this White House. Um, also with me, Jordan Yule. For the very first time, um, super great, uh, glad and grateful to have him uh, as well. If you don't know Jordan, um, you're going to love him. He's the co-host of the Insurgents podcast, writes newsletters, uh, the newsletter I hated here and never want to leave, um, and is just a regular contributor to TYT and um, an awesome progressive. You probably follow him online. Um, so if you're here uh, live, remember to press the little like button, click the little thumb skis. And um, only, this is fun, I looked into some stats, and only 6% of you have rung the bell that alerts you to when we're going live. And I feel like we can do better, people. I have rung my own bell. I mean, I ring my own bell all the time, you know. Um, it's my form of self-love. Don't, let's not talk about it. Uh, but ring the bell, because then you'll know that we go live on Tuesdays and Fridays, but if we're a little bit late, or we're a little early, or something, something happens, or we decide to go live randomly on a Wednesday, you will get that alert if you watch live. If you don't watch live and you're listening as a podcast, my God, give this podcast five stars. Show this podcast some love. It is completely 100% independent, ad-free. That is correct. It is ad-free. Um, for now, one can dream. I am, uh, again, uh, my, my, my little six-inch heeled leg is out there on the, on the road. I'm working, I'm working the night shift for these ads going, yoo-hoo sponsor me you know what i mean uh that being said i cannot be held responsible for whatever pre-roll ad you're seeing in front of the youtube i'm i apologize if it's like mitt romney asking i don't know to talk about his foot long i do not like uh, that i have no control over that it's probably some zionist propaganda at this point it's probably that but anyway um if you want to support this show even more and do a thing that's very exciting because we haven't been, I didn't do the show last week, last Tuesday, because we did a live show on Sunday 
that is available to all patrons of the show. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room is where you go to watch that. I have to say the audio was like strikingly good. Clearly, the podcast gods heard our cries from last year's Sketchfest when we did our live show and it completely went kaput and was like, you know what? We're going to give the these ladies, and by ladies, I mean me and the amazing Paige Omek, my producer. We're going to th- give them a good record this time. And so it was so fun. Emma Viglin was there. Miles Gray of the Daily Zeitgeist. Nato Green, comedian um, and labor organizer. We played, I think, one of the most fun final segments we played, which was um, being press secretary to Trump and Biden and trying to interpret their clear octogenarian brain fart moments. Um, so get at that, guys. And thank you so much for everyone who has joined and supported this show. You get so many different perks, obviously, uh, including discounts on the American Prospect, which I write for regularly, 20% off any merch. We've got uh, T-shirts. I think we should do – I always, like, threaten that I'm going to do more merch and then never do. I understand that I've done this, but I will be better. Um, Patreon.com slash situation room, or you can tip the show TBR dash live on Venmo TBR live on cash app. Um, and we super appreciate it. Also, uh, really quick. If you are a patron, you can listen back to our bonus shows. We do shows on Fridays, uh, at one same time. It's live uh, free. If you watch live on YouTube and Twitch, but if you want to listen back, if you want to watch it back, become a patron to get access to that last week, I got to say it was a banger of a bonus show because I broke down uh, an article that came out of Haaretz just last week, obviously, about a group called the Zaka Group. The Zaka Group was the first responders who were on the scene in some of the communities and the kibbutzes that were attacked by Hamas on October 7th. And the things that they did and the ways that they um, still continue to disrespect the dead from that day are wild. And then the kinds of misinformation that they spread are also wild. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room, you guys. I cannot recommend that episode highly enough. You can also become a member on YouTube or Twitch to watch that back. Also, if you're a member on YouTube and Twitch, you get that live show. I apologize. There's a lot of announcements. But that was a really good show and, and, and chilling and incredibly upsetting. Um, let's just say uh, all the beheaded babies, all that stuff, never happened. Didn't happen. A uh, pregnant woman, uh, a fetus hanging out of her stomach after Hamas cut her open, didn't happen. Nope, completely invented, indeed. Uh, but it gets worse. Uh, watch that back. Uh, you will not regret it, as well as so many other amazing episodes. But with that, let's get into it, guys. Get your bitch caps on, God damn it, um, And let us... Start with what you're bitching about. So a lot of you know that uh, I used to work for National Geographic a little bit. Uh, I did a show of theirs called Explorer. And one of the first one of the first stories I did for them, there's a lot of dumb stories I did for them. Let's be real. But there were some good stories. Uh, one of those stories was in El Salvador, where I visited a women's prison where women had been a jailed sentence to do 30 years to life for having a miscarriage. That's right. Um, they were accused of basically deliberately uh, having an abortion, which is illegal under the Salvadoran constitution. 
Um, and this it is what happens when you put the right to life, when you give fetuses, when you give zygotes personhood, women uh, and people who can get pregnant become second class citizens. That's what happens. I went there to cover that. It was in 2016. And it was this wild sort of, you know, tunnel vision moment where you're like, this could happen here under a Trump administration, under a right-wing uh, Supreme Court, if there's no sufficient fight from Democrats. And honestly, uh, that is an oxymoron, Democrats who fight. This will happen in this country. And lo and behold, it did. It did last year in Ohio um, to a woman named Brittany Watts, who was charged with a felony for abusing a corpse. Well, what was the corpse she abused? It was a miscarriage. It was her 21-week miscarriage. So she gave an interview to CBS uh, this past week, and I just want you to hear the kinds of, like, the, the ways that our medical system, if abortion rights are not protected, if doctors and hospitals do not feel empowered to save women's lives, to adequately provide care, they, in effect, simply turn into narcs. Here's Brittany Watts speaking about her experience. The nurse comes in and she's rubbing my back and uh, talking to me and saying everything's going to be okay. Little do I know, the nurse that was comforting me and saying that everything was going to be okay was the one who called the police. I had a mother who um, had a delivery at home and came in without the baby, and I need to have someone go find this baby or direct me on what I need to do. Did she say if the baby was alive or not? She said she didn't want to look, she didn't want the baby, and she didn't look. The nurse said that you said you didn't want to look and that you did not want the baby. Do you remember saying that? I said I did not want to look. I never said I, I didn't want my baby. I would have never said something like that. Yeah. Um, so there it is. A woman who has a miscarriage and then the nurse calls 911. And effectively, it, it, that leads to her eventual, the charges that she received, a felony. Those charges were dismissed. Um, but this is the slippery slope that we are on 100%. And I want to just say, like, it is evil and awful for a nurse to do that. In El Salvador, women would wake up from having had miscarriages and be handcuffed to their beds. We are not far off from that in places uh, in these red states, which we'll talk about in one second. But I, I just want to name like how chilling and disgusting that is when the entire medical system views you as a criminal. And that is what's happened under this far-right government, it is also what's it, it, and this Supreme Court. It is something I don't think Joe Biden has a plan to actually reverse course on. Um, but he is banking, and we're going to talk about the election in a little bit, especially vis-a-vis -vis, uh, his unmoving policy around you know the genocide in Gaza. He is banking on the fact that women are incensed, specifically women in red states, and maybe maybe that is enough. Um, I do want to mention that Ohio, and remember, Ohio was one of the first states to have these like heartbeat bans. Ohio was one of these first states that was like, as soon as a heartbeat's detected, which means literally nothing, but you know, whatever, six week abortion ban. I mean, super early. 
And they passed a measure. The voters passed a measure. I think it was 57 percent of voters passed a measure to protect abortion rights, um, overriding all of the draconian laws that they, that they had on the books. And now their state legislature, their Republican state legislature is like, mm, why don't we ignore that? So they're trying to override that. So, again, meanwhile, people, med- uh, prof- uh, hospital professionals are the ones caught in the middle. But. It is wild to me, you know, this is the thing that you like, you know, people like me and Nat Geo go and sort of like shake their head at, you know, El Salvador, this backwards country that, wow, I can't believe you would do this. No, we're doing it. We're doing it to women in this country for the crime, supposed crime of having a miscarriage. That being said, I don't care if you want the baby or not. You should not be treated as a criminal. Um, There is. There's no evidence. What the fuck is this nurse doing? This fuck. This fucking nurse doesn't know this woman was not to term. I'm sorry. I, who the fuck are you? Like honestly, who are you? What are you doing? You are you are so ill-equipped to do your job. Anyway, um, a little glimpse into our future if we don't actually have a plan to stop it. But uh, that just like I knew in 2016 we'd see this. And then in 2023, we did. With that, let's bring in my co-host from the Insurgents podcast and writes the newsletter I hated here and never want to leave. Please welcome Jordan Ewell. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, Jordan. How are you? (laughs) You know, as as you are also experiencing, (laughs) it's very wet out here in Los Angeles. Um, It's it's, it's okay, taking the good with the bad. Yeah, that's a wet-ass city. Um, It is, I like it. I dig it. I'm like, I'm like, I'll drive. I don't care. People are like, oh my God, the rose. I can't like, just go. Seattle <laughs> handles this all the time. What's wrong with us? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in Ohio, so I also grew up with in an area with a ton of snow. So I got used to driving in just weather. Uh, so seeing people cautiously navigating corners and down the road is kind of funny. But as I mentioned, our basement flooded and that is that is not funny. Yeah, no, it's not fun when your basement flooded. That that's that sucks. That was that your man cave? Are you are we pouring one out? No, for the old. No, MC? no, it's my my fiance's. Uh, oh, lady w- cave, woman cave. Yeah. yeah, we like lady cave. Um, <laughs> that sucks, dude. That, I feel like there was like a yoga mat that got fucked up off that or something. Like that's probably what would happen to me. Um, Jordan, what are you bitching about yes. this fine Tuesday, February sixth? You know, I came in with something light and then you did yours and now I'm like scrambling. Oh, I got to do no, something No, 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 please, please lighten it up. This is, it is okay. I was going to bitch about something super random, but I was like, you know what? Let me just get this off my chest. What do you have to say? Make it petty. Let's go. I hate the Grammys. I, I hate it. I kind of just look at all celeb pop culture was like a like a side eye. I don't really care for it. I don't get into the gossip stuff or the Do you celeb not news. Like music is that is a is no it no no. Music? I I love music. I, that's that's why I hate the Grammys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is and it's if, despite kind of my disdain for celeb culture at large, I really get into the optics and people watching at award shows, like how do people handle these situations? Cause it's so awkward for people who lose. And then it's oh, also yeah. kind of awkward for people who win. Cause you have to go up there and pretend like you're humble. And so many of these people are, are not. So it's just very entertaining to me as like a spectator sport. And yes. I really like the Oscars cause I, I, I love movies. Uh, I don't take myself too seriously as like a film buff, but I, I really do love watching movies 
So I like the Oscars, but the Grammys is just such a gross representation of who excelled in music in the past year. It's just such a joke. <laughs> and go ahead. I look, here's the thing. I'm going to I I think you're a massive hypocrite obviously because if you like the Oscars and all the pageantry, you're like could I like movies? But like but then music? No, it's true. Now I it's hard to say, but it it does feel like and maybe this is snobbery that the Grammys definitely caters to more. It's like if the Oscars gave awards to like Marvel films, like that's the way right. the Grammys exactly super pop culture. Although I've never heard Boy Boy Genius, and now not only because they wore like ceasefire pins, like one of the few artists who did, but also because like they won an award. I was like, oh, let me listen to Boy Genius. I haven't yet, but I will. Um, so like, and occasionally you've got breakout stars. You know, like Arcade Fire won Album of the Year, and everyone was like, Arcade Who? And it's like, yeah, man, Arcade Fire. They 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 are great. But it is generally very poppy. Yes. Um, so I hear you on that. I will say, and to my ceasefire point, other than like beyond the Golden Globes or the other one and the other one and all the other BS awards for actors, you saw more artists speak up. Annie Lennox saying, see artists for ceasefire. We need peace in the world. You saw Boy Genius. You saw a couple of other artists like Aja Monet wore like a little like a purse that was like a bejeweled watermelon. Like there were more, you see, it seems like, like actual musicians um, clearly live in less fear of their jobs because I think, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just think they're like a little bit more like, look, man, I can't, you can't just replace me. Where <laughs> I feel like actors are like, shit is scarce out here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it's disappointing that we're this late into award season and you have all of these opportunities for people with platforms and captive audiences to say or do something. And we just now get to a point where people are wearing pins and Annie Lennox actually said it, but it's mostly just been visual or silent uh, I know. S shows of support. That is frustrating. I it think is. your Marvel comparison is really <laughs> apt. Like I, I was thinking about that exact thing. Like, what would it look like if the Oscars were had the same approach as the Grammys, where they just did popular things? It would be Pixar movies, endless sequels, just winning Best Picture year after year. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it would yeah. be so sad, and it just reflects how narrow the representation is in that award show. Like, it's mostly just pop, and that is to me, not the best type of music year after year, but it always ends up typically winning. That being said, we are going to have a final segment about Taylor Swift. Uh, the Super Bowl is coming up. And so uh, the deep state has pressed go on um, her module uh, that's just sort of right underneath the skin in her like gorgeous, perfect, wonderful neck. And um, we're going to we're going to talk about how the right is obsessed with them. So I want to get your thoughts on Tay a little bit later on. But but I like this. I like what you're bitching about. I, I second it. However, I did. I was like that Miley Cyrus hit is like it is kind of a bop. Although, girl, just just sing a Taylor song. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But let's get into it, guys. A lot of things happened this week. Uh, only two in my mind. There's a lot to dig into. This is the week where. So this is the week where and it is unfolding as we speak. Uh, the border deal may or probably may not, will definitely not um, pass Congress. Um, 
Now, why are we talking about the border deal right now? What the hell is this deal? And Jordan, I'm sure you remember, but for people who are like, what the, what are we doing? It's beyond just that it's an election year and we got to like ratchet up fear uh, against, you know, like unaccompanied minors um, who I guess are taking our jobs, even though we're trying to put them to work. And anyway, um, but that's because remember how Republicans really didn't want to sign off on more aid to Ukraine. Um, no specific reason they get money from Putin. Um, no specific agenda. Tucker Carlson is in Moscow right now. Um, just that they don't want more money to, you know, give to Ukraine. And Democrats, specifically Joe Biden, wants to give more money to Israel. All that, uh, you know, foreign funding or whatnot is in this bill. But then Republicans were like, nah, we want our war, the border war. So they were like, we want to put... We want more money to go to the border. This is the war we want. So um, a bill was drafted and um, the James Lankford, Republican James Lankford, um, who definitely is a sentient like marionette doll. We'll see him in a second. Um, he and Chris Coons and have co-sponsored this bill. Chuck Schumer's all in for it. Joe Biden is all in for it. What the hell is this bill and why are Republicans not going to vote for it. Um, so a few things. It raises the bar for quali to qualify for asylum. It provides a bunch more money for border cops and for processing asylum seekers faster, but often that means removing them and also detaining them. Um, it gives the president new authority to shut down the entire border when like a certain it's almost like a like a how many people went to Disneyland today? It's like dig, dig, dig. It's like, oh, too many. So and then Disneyland shuts down. But in this case, it's the U.S.-Mexico border. And um, so if there I think it's like 5000 migrants try attempt to go through legally, then suddenly the border shuts down. It's some um, really, really dark ass like like hall fun house of mirrors, except it's very unfun. Um, the National Immigrant Justice Center um, has said, and this is from their director, uh, Mary Meg McCarthy, that President Biden campaigned three years ago on the promise of restoring American America's historic status as a safe haven for refugees and asylum seekers. Now, near the end of his presidential term, he's threatening to close the southern border and shepherd legislation, which would violate humanitarian norms and international refugee law. The proposals in this bill would subject people to some summary expulsions, draconian screenings designed to fail, or mandatory incarceration simply because they're exercising their right to seek refuge. This proposal fails to provide an effective response to increases in global humanitarian displacement. Okay, so that's the bill. It is bad, Jordan. I don't know what you've heard of it or your response, but let's just take the fact that, like, Biden and Democrats are on board for this bill. Not all of them. Um, but like, I think Alex Padilla, Senator Alex Padilla of California is against this bill. Um, obviously you have immigrant rights groups saying they're against this bill, but the fact that this is being floated as this is the solution, um, it, it, it is a very Republican. It is a right wing bill, but your thoughts. No, it absolutely is. There's nothing in this bill for dreamers. Just think, Back five years, and any time, at any point during the Trump era on immigration, that was the one thing Democrats pretended to care about. That's the one thing they acted like they would use opportunities where they had leverage to fight for. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. They let those opportunities pass. 
they never followed through on that deal with McConnell a few years ago where he said, oh, you passed this you know, continuing aid or funding package, we'll get you a deal on the, or get you a bill on the floor for a vote on Dreamers. Nothing. Yeah. It's not even mentioned here. It is a purely right-wing immigration bill and the thing that the Democrats want, which is war funding, funding for Ukraine, funding for Israel. That's the package? That is a, that's a shit deal. Yeah. And despite that, despite giving Republicans everything they wanted on this, which I, I would argue is a bad strategy, they're still not happy. They're still they're still going to kill it in the House. Mike Johnson has made it pretty clear he's just going to kill it in the House. So it likely is not going to pass. Democrats and Biden, the, the B- Biden campaign officials have already told the press, even if it fails, they're going to hit the road and they're going to campaign on, well, we tried to do a tough immigration bill. We tried to get this passed, but Republicans blocked it. Yeah. Republicans are just doing because they, they want this problem to fester because they think it'll help Trump in 2024. This is a really sad state of affairs. You know, everything is so sad, but I've been so disappointed. Like, I think I've reached a depth of sadness about this administration and 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 I don't know if it, it's not cynicism. It's just like there's a part of me that's like, I don't know, maybe that'll work for whatever dipshit xenophobe wants to vote for Biden. It's not me. It's not you. It's not any of my friends. It's not you know what I'm saying? It's not the people who voted for him in 2020, really. But maybe this will work. Do you know, like, my brain is, like, doing what I think, like, some of the Democrats are like, well, this is totally going to work for, you know, like, five people. But anyway, to your point that they're not even going to pass it, this is James Lankford speaking with Fox, and he's he's like, but I, I'm putting up this bill. This is what we remember, how you guys were like, uh, no funding for Ukraine or Israel without the border stuff. I did a border thing. And here he is. Here's what uh, Speaker Johnson said. I have seen enough. This bill is even worse than we expected. It won't come close to any of the border catastrophe the president has created. As the lead Democrat negotiator proclaimed, under this legislation, the border never closes. If this bill reaches the House, it will be dead on arrival. Your thoughts? Yeah, un- unfortunately, he would step out and be able to say that right away before, obviously, he had had a chance to be able to read it as well and to be able to go through it. The key aspect of this, again, is are we as Republicans going to have press conferences and complain the border's bad and then intentionally leave it open? After the worst month in American history in December, now we've got to actually determine, are we going to just complain about things or are we going to actually address and to change as many things as we can? Have you met your party, sir? <laughs> Like, have you, (laughs) do you know who you're a part of here? You guys thrive on doing nothing. That's what you do. You grant, you don't even know what to do with the majority. You have no idea. We're going to impeach people. And then they want to testify. And you're like, no, no, we don't want to testify. We, we, only we. Like, they don't, they, it is just so funny to me that it's really adorable that there are still people who like, um, in the Republican party who believe that they're there to get things done and not be like an upward funnel of money from the poor to the rich. Yeah, it's a kind of a difficult situation for Langford, who, I, I, as you point out, like should understand what the game is here, but doesn't. Yeah. Like he just he he does seem like he's trying to get this passed, and he seems to have spent a lot of time on it. And actually, like I would obviously disagree with these solutions. But that's what he that's what he thinks the the plan ahead should be. Yeah. So it is kind of funny that he just doesn't recognize and is confused. And this is multiple interviews like this where he's fighting with his own parties, fighting with Mike Johnson in the press, 
clearly not recognizing that Trump just told him, don't let this pass. Let this yeah. fester. Let this problem continue to grow. And it becomes a nightmare for Biden because the media will run with it. And sure enough, in September, October, we'll get another migrant caravan news cycle that they will obsess over in the run up to the election. But again, like, I, I mean, look, as you said, maybe if Biden campaigns on this, that we tried to do this horrible draconian bill that absolutely hands way too much power to the executive branch to just shut down the border and violate international law, which by the way, is a thing I've been doing because I continued Trump's policy, you know, from under the pandemic and denied people asylum seeking. Like, again, maybe that will work. I don't know. I mean, at least it's a idea. <laughs> like, like, you know, like my like jaded ass brain is like, I mean, it's they have something. It's not what anybody wants. It's really bad for everyone involved. But maybe it can work kill me um <laughs> I, um speaking of killing people no i'm kidding uh but there is an angle to this and we have to move on but i do want to mention that um mr greg abbott just a just a evil villain of a dude um is trying to make the border all about him and and i wasn't really privy to what the hell was going on but um um, Judd Legum sort of had a very long, like, thread about this, and I don't want to belabor it too much, but basically, like, there is a park, uh, what is it called? Shelby. There we go. All right. Here we go. I don't want to, but let's go into it really, really quickly. So there's Shelby Park, and Texas has enclosed 47 acres of it. Now, this is supposed to be for the U.S. Border Patrol. The Border Patrol can't even get into it. Um, it's apparently staging area for pol policing and um, interdiction operations along with the Rio Grande. Um, on January 12th, three migrants drowned in, near the park. When border agents went to Shelby Park to address the situation, they were denied access. I mean, wild shit. So now there was a basically an or like the illegal, uh, illegal uh, case that came down. And it, it was from the Fifth Circuit that granted Texas an injunction that prevented the feds from cutting the razor wire. But the Supreme Court overturned the injunction, allowing federal officials to remove the wire. So effectively, like, remember, this is all just about, like, Greg Abbott's little razor wire that he wanted to put up and put down. And nah, nah, nah. the Supreme Court's like, nah, you have to let the feds remove your stupid wire. That's what happened. And Greg Abbott, it's like, never secession secession like greg abbott is losing his goddamn mind so he's issuing a statement he's invoking the constitution he's saying the pact to the compact has been broken between the united states and the states it was championed by john c calhoun one of the staunchest defenders of slavery and used to justify secession so greg abbott is trying to be like nah -uh. we're a sovereign nation blah -de -de blah 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 he goes judd goes into talking about how like there is a uh um this is like an invasion of migrants and the U.S. government is not properly protecting us from said invasion. Ergo, we're not part of you no more. And a little bit, Jordan, I'm like, bye. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, look, a couple, I, my fiance is from Texas. So it's like, and I've, I've heard this argument from her. It's like, there are people who would love to change that system, love to change that government who live there and are effectively powerless because the Republicans have control over that state and that government. So like up until a couple years ago, it would have been like, all right, yeah, sure, whatever. But 
I'm sympathetic to that argument. It's like we got to fight for them because they There's don't have too power many in that people. State. I mean, honestly, and if it's Texas v. Florida, I'm going with Texas over Florida. I just got to say, like, beyond stay or Texas. leave. Oh, to stay. I would yeah, say yeah, Texas yeah. stays, Florida goes, but does. Okay, I digress. But yeah, so he's turning in this into, and it's unclear why. Like, is he doing it for Trump himself? Probably a future run at the White House. It, it Yeah, it, it could be all of that. I, I think they think they can win this case in the court of public opinion. And in a way they are because you have all of these states who are showing support, sending National Guardsmen down there. And one thing that's really concerning to me is that despite the Supreme Court ruling, they're just not going to comply. At that point, what do you do? What, yeah. what authority or what what punishment what what are the next steps after that because like with so much of our government that we've seen over the past several years it only works if everyone pretends that, that it matters and republicans <laughs> and especially trump just made it clear it's like i'm not playing by those rules democrats still bind themselves to these kind of imaginary constructs that we the whole system relies on us all pretending and now abbott is just saying all right what are you going to do about it but exactly and it's so random too he's just it's he why are you making enemies of the border patrol like this is one of the biggest government agencies their jurisdiction is wild they have so much money they have so much funds you're totally full of it to claim that they don't have what they need to you know actually police the border again against um women who want to like uh escape cartel violence in their home country like um it is and we all know how radicalized the Border Patrol are. Like, Border Patrol are like open Nazis. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we love cracking skulls of migrants. That's what we do. Like, they are open about that. They regularly defy at least Biden. Um, they've done that before. And they're not extreme enough for Greg effing Abbott? What the? Like, what? <laughs> um, well, the, the people that this is inspiring also, it, that's alarming. I don't know if you yeah. saw, but shortly before uh, we hopped on, Rolling Stone published a piece about a uh, militia sniper who went down there planning to attack people. Just he wanted to just set up camp and he had Tannerite and he was making explosives and was just going to start picking people off. Like you're you're inspiring some of the most psychotic people in this country with this action, too. Yes. Yes. And and supposedly when they get there, they're like, wait a minute, there's nobody here. And it's like, yeah, man, it's not an invasion. It's not what you think it is. Um, I do, you know what I'm, I want to do? I want to bring in Tarek, and then we will go back to talk about how trash the media is. But maybe I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll let Tarek in on that discussion because I do want to get his thoughts. Um, but let's welcome him because he's patiently waiting like 50 Cent. Um, sorry. He's a Palestinian-American, former senior official in the U.S., in the U.S. Department of Education, cleaning up the mess that Betsy DeVos left behind. Please welcome Tarek Habash. Um, Tarek, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And Thank you for, for the being 50 cent here. comparison. Honestly, I've never, never really had that before. So don't make me sing it. Um, but it's really good to have you here. Um, and you know, obviously you are here. Um, first of all, like you should have been here before, uh, although you probably couldn't have done interviews as part of the Department of Education, but maybe, but just before we jump into why you resign, 
tell us about yourself. Who are you? How'd you get this job in the administration? What were you doing? Yeah, so before I joined the administration, I had been working in advocacy and research in the student loan and consumer protection space, uh, focused on higher education affordability, fixing a broken student loan system that I think so many of us have really just felt completely beaten down by, uh, fighting back against the regulatory capture of the Department of Education under Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump. Uh, I helped found a nonprofit that did a lot of work kind of on all of those different aspects and volunteered on the campaign in like my professional capacity with like my expertise to help shape the administration's like future agenda on education, higher education, student loan issues, economic justice and policy. Um, and that's kind of how I got connected. Tight. That's very cool. So you're someone who did volunteer to, did you now, did you volunteer once it was clear that Biden was the nominee or were you like riding with Biden? Let's go. Let's see. Like how much of a, sorry, <laughs> maybe I'm calling you out. How much of a true believer yeah. were you in, in, in Biden? Uh, totally fair question. Um, you know, I volunteered once like the policy committees were starting to be developed. So this was long after the primaries were kind of settled and, you know, um, Biden at the time was the Democratic nominee. I'd sure. been a self-identifying Democrat for a long time. I volunteered on numerous campaigns, knocking doors, phone banking, um, yeah. you know, doing the work to like help progressives and people on the left or center left really, you know, have opportunities to affect policy that did not bad things for people of color and, you know, <laughs> yeah. everyday Americans. Well, before we move to this assault on Gaza and what it, how it affected you and how it affects here, you know, us here, let's just stick with the Department of Ed really quickly. Like, you know, I think, tell, give me your assessment um, with how, how much Biden has fought for student uh, loan, uh, student debt relief. I know it's been piecemeal. There have been waves. I have friends who had student debt for, you know, I think it was over, I believe it was over 20 years. So then they had it, you know, or, or almost 20 years. So they had it automatically absolved, like, you know, some really great things, but it hasn't, it hasn't been a, the sweeping plan that I think some of us had hoped it would be. Um, and obviously got caught up in the courts. So can you just explain, like, what was your assessment of how much Biden really, like, wanted to throw down on student debt relief? Yeah, I mean, I think that, unfortunately, like, what we've seen has been this system that hasn't worked for so long for millions of Americans. And, like, in the last decade alone, like, the growth in the entire portfolio has been catastrophic. We like hit the one trillion mark years ago and subsequently just like more rapidly accumulated more and more federal student loan debt. This is like the federal government effectively being one of the largest consumer financing like banks in America that, yeah. you know, is providing trillions of dollars of debt to college age students, to older Americans that are trying to get new skills to go back into the workforce. And the debt is just weighing down on them. There are a lot of really great programs that actually try and make the debt more affordable and manageable so that you can repay based on your income, so that if you work in public service, you can get relief after 10 years of working in qualified 
employment, right. but those programs never really worked. And under Trump and under Betsy DeVos, like they essentially like pushed the screws on the system as far as they could go. And we saw so many people essentially get denied relief that they were entitled to under the law. And so I think mm. like one thing that I think Democrats broadly really recognize this wasn't just Joe Biden, but this was Elizabeth Warren, this was Bernie Sanders, this was almost every single candidate during the Democratic primary was acknowledged that, you know, there needed to be widespread, you know, acknowledgement of the broken system and taking really formative steps to address uh, the biggest problems. You know, part yeah. of that is uh, upfront investment in students. And I think the Biden administration over the last couple of years has made some of the largest investments in the Pell Grant program, which has seen its purchasing power diminished uh, substantially over, uh, you know, the last three decades. Uh, but at the same time, creating the most generous income-based repayment program um, in you know, student loan history, creating right. pathways to provide waivers for borrowers who were lied to by their student loan companies so that they could retroactively access the benefits of programs like public service loan forgiveness, fixing other relief programs for students and student loan borrowers who had been defrauded by their schools and never should have taken out that debt. There were right. just like every single aspect of like the system was not working for borrowers. And I, I think that Democrats have really leaned into um addressing that as one of their you know foremost like issues to fix because you know at the end of the day in 2024 we have over 40 million americans with federal student loans millions more with other types of you know um private student loan debt and fixing the system holistically is a huge priority to ensure that americans can really you know, get out from under that weight to really be able to save for retirement, start families, start businesses, yeah. purchase homes, contribute to the economy. All of those things are really critical. Oh my God. Um, yeah. That's the thing that I think people don't understand is obviously the infusion of money that it brings to the economy more broadly when you relieve uh, student uh, loans. But, but so you were doing some good. Now, now that you've left because Biden has been doing a lot of bad, but I, I mean, I'm obviously simplifying just before we leave the, the education stuff, you know, like, do you think he could have fought harder um, when it comes to some student loan uh, debt relief or and cancellation? Or yeah. was it like, I mean, we haven't seen him you know, like go as hard as he has on like this border stuff that we're seeing play yeah. out now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question. I think Americans are going to feel very differently about this, depending on their circumstances. Were they part of the, the three and a half million Americans who have received debt relief to date and have had their lives financially transformed because of it? Or are they part of the other 40 million Americans who had student debt, who were promised that they were going to see widespread relief because they met all of the criteria and because Trump judges that were, you know, given seats in the Supreme Court essentially determined on a political basis that, you know what, we don't want to provide that relief. I think, you know, Complete Americans, exactly. It, oh, absolutely. I mean, certainly like there were different legal arguments and positions that the department could have taken. Uh, and, you know, they could have, you know, pushed a little bit harder and automated the relief so that relief would have gone through before a case could have come through. Mm. Um, 
And, and I feel like Americans probably see that and they see, oh, look at what the administration is doing using emergency powers to send hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons to Israel to essentially destroy, you know, places of worship and homes and hospitals and like, just like civilian infrastructure and tens of thousands of lives and doing that outside of congressional authority and, you know, no one bats an eye, but, you know, God forbid we take that aggressive of an action to provide widespread automatic relief to struggling Americans who have unimaginable, unimaginable weight of student debt weighing on their shoulders, on their families, on their finances. Yes. If we take a positive step to help Americans here. Um, Jordan, before we move on to this other stuff, any, any questions for this former DOE uh, official? Yeah. Do you still have access to the system? I can send you like my account number. And if you just go in there, it's, it's going to be around 90,000. Just hit delete. Just keep going until all the zeros are gone. And then unfortunately, shoot me your Venmo. Access, I'll give you. you know? They didn't trust me. I just tried to do as much from a big picture standpoint, like, you know, yeah. cancel it all from the beginning automatically. That that was me. That was my pitch. And everyone else is like, okay, we're the serious adults in the room. We have to, we have to figure out how to do this in a way that, you know, follows the means tested. Well, it, well, it is, it, it's not, <laughs> it's not unrelated to the border in some ways because of you see, you know, this CBP one, which is like this app that has been that migrants have to sign up for while they wait for a turn on the Mexico side of the U.S.-Mexico border. And it, there's like a backlog. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. But like there's some kind of systematized, you know, like there's an app. There's a thing. I'm sure it's sponsored. I don't know if it's actually a Palantir thing. It sounds like it should be. But like, you know, it's like, what about that? You know what I mean? What about something like an app? What about some, one kind of system, something to, like you said, automate or like implement your ideas? So I'll just leave that there. It's like when yeah. it comes to war or policing brown people or migrants, it's like, oh, well, some billionaire is going to make a lot of money off that. Um, anyway, let's move on to why you left. You resigned. Um, tell, tell us exactly when you resigned and also what led up to it. Um, was it an, like a... I can't take this anymore. There have been now there are now twenty seven thousand people Palestinians who've been killed in Gaza. More and more hate crimes here in the United States. Um, or was it more of a longer burn than that for you? Explain what happened. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was I can't take this anymore. But I couldn't take it from the very beginning. Uh, yeah. And the reality was, as a Palestinian American, as the only. Palestinian American political appointee at the Department of Education in particular, you know, I for a while felt alone in, you know, how this was affecting me on a very personal level, how, you know, I felt like my identity did not matter, that it was being erased, you know, the constant dehumanization and the language that the White House was using, that they were essentially directing agencies to use in all of their communications related to this. Um, this ongoing, like horrific violence that we were seeing, um, it made it extremely difficult to continue to do really important and really good work at the department because, you know, it just eats at your heart, at your soul, like knowing people who are directly affected, who are losing their lives, who are suffering from collective punishment, who are just trying to survive. And not only 
enabling the dehumanization and violence, but actually financing it and greenlighting that violence was too difficult to bear. Um, you know, I did everything I could while I was there to raise concerns about the language we were using, raise concerns about the policies and how it was affecting people's lives in a very real way. You know, having conversations with the White House, having conversations with the secretary and the chief of staff. Um, you know, I think I there was a level of empathy that I got from my building, from the Department of Education, but right. personal empathy and understanding of what I'm going through is not really what I needed. It's not what millions of Palestinians both living in the region and also in the broader diaspora need. We need like to see actual policy change. We need to see a shift in how we talk about Palestinians, how we talk about Arabs and Muslims more broadly. And we need to treat them with dignity and humanity that they deserve, just like any other group of people. Yeah. And and, and you're not alone. I mean, it, from reports, early reports and ongoing reports, um, both within the State Department, right? I, I believe there have been, although they haven't gotten a lot of press, and I, I'm I'm wondering, am I wrong? There have been dissent cables, correct? Mm -hmm. About yeah, about you know Blinken and Biden's approach to this, you know, support of this war. Um, but like no one's really covering that. It's like your staffers are telling you. I mean, and again, people are being policed for what I've said. It's like entry level State Department people could tell you that this is like. This is stupid. This is foolish to say nothing of murderous, genocidal and Islamophobic. Like this is a this is bad policy. And that's just kind of falling on deaf ears. Yeah, I mean, it's not just entry level State Department people. It's White, White House interns penned a letter to the president, like essentially condemning his ongoing policies and in the region. It's it's been widespread across the administration. We've seen, you know, letters from USAID. We've seen letters from anonymous staffers from dozens of different agencies, like you said, numerous dissent cables that have subsequently been leaked. You know, yes. the widespread nature of the dissent is almost unheard of. And even more so is the president and his unwillingness to waver from this like ideological mission to provide just unending support without any consternation, without any concern for, you know, both the growing regional like issue um, and like risk to Americans, but also like the democratic risk here in America as like he continuously talks about the risk that Trump is, but ignoring his entire base and essentially burning his base and the vast majority of Democratic voters that, you know, support an end to this violence, support an immediate and permanent ceasefire. And I mean, it's it's creating a real risk that like Democrats lose the election because he is unserious about listening to Americans in battle, battleground states, but just Americans in general. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, please feel free to jump in. Um, but I think it is, uh, it is also so cruel and difficult because as someone, a young, obviously Palestinian American, but like a young person who's like trying to do some of the more, some of the things that, tr that Biden wants to run on, you know, like student debt relief, um, and trying to do the good that we have to sometimes dig when it comes to this administration to find, and then having 
this like, yeah, green lighting of genocide happened simultaneously. That must feel and also being Palestinian American must feel so disgusting and so difficult and also so such a disappointment, like such a disappointment. I mean, I felt this way since the beginning. It was like, OK, well, he can get reelected as long as he doesn't start World War Three. Oops. You know what I mean? Like this is here we go. Um, and I guess I kind of wanted to also ask you, being at the Department of Ed and seeing the way that campus activism has been so brutally um, misconstrued, policed, um, like crazy Zionists, what, attacking students at Columbia with skunk spray? I mean, shit that like when I was a, you know, anti-war Palestinian, pro-Palestinian activist back in my day, like we would never see that kind of stuff. But like, how did that impact you all in the Department of Ed, was that a, were you being pushed into condemning, you know, pro-Palestinian activists or, or how did that work out? Yeah, I, I'm so glad you raised that. And I wasn't at the department when the Columbia students got attacked with chemical weapons. But it's just so horrifying that that is even a sentence that I'm saying. It's even yeah. more horrifying that we're hearing effective silence from the broader media and from the administration about that issue. Like it is horrifying that students are being subjected to that and that there is not a broader investigation that, you know, that we're aware of about what's happening. But the reality is that like, I think the department was very sensitive to a lot of the issues on college campuses. Um, you know, we heard from a lot of different groups. Um, it was really important that we, you know, brought in a broad spectrum of stakeholders, you know, institutions, uh, academic leaders, faculty, staff, students, um, affinity groups who represented, you know, what exactly was happening on college campuses. There was never really a push to condemn, um, you know, the actual activism. And I think we felt very strongly about how important it is to protect students' freedom of expression. But I think we could have gone a lot further to ensure you know, beyond just the the actual civil rights implications, which is, I think, what the White House is really comfortable with the department staying within the confines of, which is strictly saying like, hey, colleges and universities, you are obligated to comply with the civil rights laws under the Higher Education Act. And beyond that, you know, don't say a lot more about this because it's a really touchy subject. And mm. the unfortunate reality is that, you know, like students are being affected. There's a huge overcorrection to, you know, protect students, but actually just to silence any sort of dissent that colleges feel uncomfortable with, any sort of yeah. expression and speech. And I think that there are real risks, especially in the context of a lot of the right wing extremist questioning on the Hill. Um, from representatives like Stefanik, who really weren't interested in what is really happening on college campuses, what students and faculty are really saying on college campuses. And it was not in the interest of actually protecting students from real anti-Semitism, which like we absolutely should be doing. It was a political um, exercise to yes. essentially put pressure on college leaders to undermine academia's independence and integrity and i think yeah. in circumstances where you know democrats have been very vocal about um condemning book banning and silencing of academics on issues like gender identity and gender equity and social justice issues and critical race theory like we've heard absolute silence when it comes to palestine and i think that undermines yeah. 
academic institutions and their integrity. And I think this is a really huge long-term issue that colleges and for the Department of Education, they haven't fully grappled with. Mm, I think that's so perfectly put. I agree with you. And of course, the resignations of these presidents from Harvard and uh, UPenn, UPenn, right? Um, Just like prove that incredibly the refocusing on DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and instead of actually focusing on, yeah, the real issue, which is that, you know, anyone who speaks out for Palestinian human rights is immediately called anti-Semitic. It is, it truly, um, and I, and I think, and Jordan, please jump in after this, but I do think that, you know, as someone who has always believed in ending the occupation, always believed in Palestinian liberation, but also maybe didn't have it at the forefront, I'm not Palestinian American, didn't have it at the forefront of my political sort of, um, like, barrier, sort of my bar, you know, in terms of like, who I like, who I endorse. When I, now I'm like, no, no, this is the issue. We should. This actually exposes a whole lot. And it exposes a whole lot, especially when it comes to foreign policy, of course. But also here at home, when we truly are trying to combat white nationalism, we're trying to combat anti-Semitism, we're trying to combat the right, and we're trying to combat Islamophobia. We all should be in the same, uh, on the same side here, but we're 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 just we're shooting our own people right um and we're throwing them under the bus but jordan jump in uh thanks so i'm wondering about the resignation and the response itself i think francesca and i maybe you but i don't want to speak for you have concerns about the administration especially the biden campaign's inability to recognize just how discontent people are and how upset people are over this issue. I don't think they're taking that anger very seriously and the risk it poses to 2024. I mean, there's a potential that this could effectively swing the election in favor of Trump. So I'm wondering what the response was from your colleagues, from other administration officials when you did resign. Were they understanding or did they just treat it like any other resignation? Um. I definitely don't think it was treated like other resignations. Um, You know, there was a lot of understanding from the Department of Education. I had a lot of conversations over the course of a few weeks because I wanted people to understand that this wasn't about the department, the work that we had been doing that I still continue to believe in um, or any individual or interaction that I had. This was strictly about just policy differences on issues that we didn't work on every single day. And as a representative of the administration, I could not continue what I'm doing. I could not continue to represent the administration that I just didn't believe in anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people understood. I think it it resonated with the people from my building, but it also resonated with so many other people who I heard from in the subsequent days and weeks after the resignation. Uh, you know, I heard from like colleagues from the White House. I heard from colleagues in state and USAID and labor. I mean, I, I probably talked to, you know, do- dozens of different people at this point who continue to try and do really important and good work within the administration who have expressed their solidarity and support for me, want to check on me and make sure I'm doing okay. And the reality is like it, it, you're better it than ever. Me no, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is totally true. But I, it also reminded me that, you know, like there are, there is a real level of dissent that, you know, I don't think that the president and the campaign really 
fully grasp and their willingness to just take really aggressive and weird like steps to try and bring in other people into this big tent that like they're also ignoring the people who got them there to begin with and i think Mm. it's so so dangerous like the like i don't know it almost feels like this like campaign manager like brain rotty like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do the cool creative thing to bring in people um in a way that like it just like totally undermines like the actual strategy that like showed real success and it's also undermining like all the good work that the administration has already done and the goodwill that it's bought with so many different communities and i think like young people people of color like their voices matter now more than ever and you're completely ignoring what they care about whether it's border border security and immigration whether it's gaza whether it's you know climate change student debt gender equity like those things really matter and you have to listen to your voters and show them that you're going to work in their interests we're speaking with Tarek Habash, who's a, a former senior official at the U.S. Department of Education. If you're just joining us, I never do this, but sometimes, you know, people pop in. Um, and um, yeah, I guess going along with that in terms of like reading the tea leaves here. First of all, you're not the only official to have resigned. I do want to mention Josh mm-hmm. Paul, um, who was from the State Department, who was an early resignee, which was interesting in terms of just like, I don't think we should be sending this amount of weapons to Israel. And this was like in early October. Um, He believes is short-sighted, quote, short-sighted, destructive, unjust, and contradictory. But obviously he's been proven wrong. I mean, look at where we are now, about to head into a war with Iran. I don't know. Um, it, It truly, and I don't know if this, does it help at all, Tarek, that like Joe Biden is clearly ideologically aligned with Zionism, like that he is, I mean, he, it feels like he's like a 17 year old on a birthright trip, just like, I love it here. Nothing's wrong. Like he just like, does it help to know that he's ideologically an idiot is what I'm trying to ask you. (laughs) Like it, for me, it sort of helps, but it also makes me more mad because he's literally not listening to anyone, including like Blinken, Blinken. We're talking like three weeks into this, you know, assault on Gaza. Blinken says on uh, I think it was Meet the Press. He's like, there's no military solution to Hamas. I know there's not. And it's like, you just said the thing. You just said the thing. You said it. You said you cannot bomb your way into peace. And we all know that to be true. So what are you doing about it? Nothing. He's back here. I mean, I guess he's now in Qatar or Saudi Arabia doing something, trying to work another deal for a semi-permanent ceasefire that's just going to, like, anyway. So there's no question here attached, Tarek. I'm just talking. Um, I'm just vamping. But yes, sort of like, you know, the idea that he hasn't course corrected. And if he doesn't course correct, I think you're right that this election and, uh, you know, uh, Jordan and I have been talking a lot about this. This election is in jeopardy for him. Um, And it is truly one of those things that is like, nah, it's on you, dude. Like, this is on you. This is squarely. This isn't on getting Taylor Swift to endorse you. This isn't on, you know, just a bunch of like TikTokers changing their mind. This is on you to turn this thing around. Um, but yeah, what do you, what are your thoughts? Can we on just that? like, 
can we just like quickly talk about like the the reality like the reality that like the campaign thinks that taylor swift is going to be the savior is like so <laughs> crazy because you're relying on like a billionaire white woman who you know like it's just like elites relying on elites to solve a problem that has nothing to do with them like your yeah. policies are the things that people are seeing and like the videos of like children and women and doctors and journalists and aid workers being killed and mutilated and like losing limbs like that is what is causing record low um you know poll numbers that's what's causing you to be losing to a literal insurrectionist who is on trial in every major battleground state by not ins insignificant numbers like yes taylor swift and her like teenage white girl like supporters are not going to be the people that save you here as much as like we want to believe that like if taylor swift comes out in support of a ceasefire that maybe like things will change like it also like it is not going to change anything any more than like i don't think that like a single musician can change the tides of like presidential polling like the reality yeah. is that like voters are smart you have to treat them like smart independent people who look at information and evaluate that information. Yeah. Um, I do think, however, and I did tweet something to this effect that in the early days, that if the only thing that could stop Israel was if Taylor went to Gaza, um, now looking back on that, they would have killed her. They definitely would have killed her um, and not looked back and have been like, she deserved it. Uh, she was, you know, an anti-Semite. She had a copy of Mein Kampf somewhere. Um, no, uh, but... Yeah, it is. And, and this is so what I was saying, I get think to Jordan a little bit ago before you came on was I am getting that 2016 Clinton feeling. And that is the feeling of pipe down, children. We got this. We don't need yeah. you to win. We don't need your vote. Um, we'll get this with suburban women who are mad about abortion rights as if those are the only people who are mad about abortion rights. Um, and we'll get this with, um, you know, former Trump voters who don't like the fact that he may or may not be convicted of a felony uh, before, you know, the election. But Just like, you, you let's, shut let's up. talk about, the, let's talk about the abortion rights stuff for a second, because sure. like, didn't, didn't that ruling come down during the administration? Like, didn't we have all this time to like, to like address that and fix that and use executive authority to like protect women's rights and like to protect like women's right to choose. And like the fact that we were in power and didn't do that. And you're like, oh, abortion is on the, on the ballot. Like if it was, then we should have fixed it. If we care about that, like, let's stop being so cynical and realize that like, when you have power, you have to prove that you're wielding that power effectively. And if you're not like, why are like why are we like just basing this off of the other guy is worse like yes let's actually start doing good stuff like on student loans like i actually think we did some good stuff like lean into the good things that you did not the the other guy is the boogeyman and like we can't let that person come in like that is true too but also pointing people to the fact that you didn't preempt this even though we all saw i mean the women's marches in the wake of the trump election were largely and they were very well attended by people of all genders. Uh, um, it was about the loss of reproductive rights that we all knew the writing was on the wall. Like everyone knew that. That's truly yeah. what it was about. And so as soon as you get into power, 
you need to Trump proof this motherfucker like and you need to reverse course immediately. And speaking about the Middle East, I mean, what he did was double down on Trump policies in the Middle East. Speaking about the border, what he did was double down on Trump policies on the border. So, you know, I am we are having a massive. Oh, yeah, this is the guy who we elected. It's not on us. I don't think that folks who voted for Biden are to blame but this is who we elected, right? This is not about like, oh, we should have withheld. No, 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 no. We made a defensive vote and I am not against defensive votes either then or in the future, but this is who this person is. Um, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I have a million questions. Obviously I feel like I could talk to you about a lot of stuff. I do, I do maybe before you go, um, you know, Tarek, we do, I'm in media, I guess, kind of, <laughs> um, you know, I've had stints here and there, um, and, um, media's going under, they're like, I mean, they're dying a very, very, like, all, like, online news media is dying, obviously, a bunch of companies are being, like, laying off journalists, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of journalists are being laid off even in election year, and then you have people like, uh, you know, um, your boy, Thomas Friedman, not your, nobody's boy, Thomas Friedman, who just gets away with uh, op-eds in the New York Times like this, understanding the Middle East through the animal kingdom. Iran is to geopolitics what a recently discovered species of parasitoid wasp is to nature. That was fun. Here you go. Hamas is like the trapdoor spider. The way the trapdoor spiders operate. The but the but the but the but the but the oh my God. So speaking to your dehumanization of uh, Arab Americans, Muslim Americans, Palestinian Americans specifically, this is what major newspapers are running to say nothing of literally putting a target on the back of Dearborn and the residents there. Welcome to Dearborn, America's jihad capital. This is an article from the Wall Street Journal, uh, which is not really surprising, um, that basically goes into it just wild Islamophobia. Like yeah. this imam praised Hamas, this and this. It's like totally unfounded crap. Like, and and I'm certain out of context, but more importantly, as you know, I think the city with one of the you know highest Muslim American populations or Muslim populations in this country, like puts a target on the back of folks who've already been surveilled, and there's like literally an FBI program on the ground in, in Dearborn trying to like entrap folks left and right, you know? Um, so anyway, just to give, we were going to sort of make that a separate thing, but it makes me so effing livid. However, Biden did put out a statement. Americans know that blaming a group of people based on the words of a small few is wrong. And that's exactly what can lead to Islamophobia and anti-Arab hate. And it shouldn't happen to the residents of Dearborn or any town in America. We must condemn hate in all its forms. However, um, the mayor of Dearborn uh, responded to this. Uh, Abdullah Hamoud, I believe the mayor, said, the unfortunate reality is Islamophobia has become an acceptable form of hate. Those who demonize or stereotype Muslims or Arab Americans quickly find bigger platforms of great and greater notoriety. I'm glad President Biden recognizes the severity and danger of the Wall Street Journal article. It's equally important that his administration recognize, and here we go, the rhetoric and decision making that created the climate for it to be written in the first place. As a nation, we have a long way to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. More than rhetoric. Yeah, the decision-making. Like, buddy, you're the one who's giving the green light for people to do this. And yeah, yesterday, a Palis I think a Palestinian-American was stabbed in Austin. Yep. I mean, but it's just like horrifying the level of racism that we continue to see 
And I think the mayor is absolutely right that this is all happening because our government leaders continue to facilitate and enable this type of dehumanizing language with their decision making and with their own language and with the fact that, you know, the president, you know, just like publicly, you know, you, like relied on unverified claims like beheaded babies and, you know, like uh, military bases inside hospitals and discounting actual like death counts from the Palestinian ministry. Like these things allow for like the level of dehumanization that makes the Wall Street Journal empowered to write horrific headlines like that. It's just racist. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, the war always comes home. That's a phrase we've heard and people have likened this yeah. moment to the post 9-11 era where just the most ignorant, racist, bigoted people would just single out anyone who was broadly middle eastern maybe even not maybe even just like southeast asian just because they were different they would attack them use slurs use hate speech whatever and it's a way that just the most ignorant dumbest nationalistic people attach themselves to something that they have no real participation in yeah too scared to enlist yeah. can't enlist whatever but they want to feel like they're part of this this cause anyway so that manifests in hating a stranger, attacking a stranger, whatever. They, they're doing their part, right? We saw it also in 2020, 2021, as we're increasing tensions with China during COVID. You had this wave of anti-Asian hate because of what is reported to be or assumed to be uh, Chinese origins for, for COVID. And that's just how people express their participation in this broader geopolitical conflict. It's just, you can't support an effort like this and you can't continue to wage endless wars in a region and then also be surprised when people back home want to take part uh, at, the, at the grassroots level. Yeah, and, and I'll take it even one step further and because let's be explicit about this. I mean, Thomas Friedman is someone who has regretted his his stance after 9-11. I went too hard when I said all Arabs are animals. You know, it's like this. Let's leave the media guy aside. But like these are the same people who did Islamophobia after 9-11 doing it now have a massive platform. You've got Joe Biden who says that he is going to stop white nationalism, that the Charlottesville, you know, um, murders and riots uh, the Unite the Right rally that inspired him to run for president. You cannot be serious about stopping neo-Nazism in this country if you're not serious about stopping Islamophobia, period. You cannot be because that is how the, the kernel of so much of neo-Nazism in this country stems from 9-11, stems from the two plus wars we started, stems from the fact that all those weapons and all those crazies and all the untreated PSD from the vets came home to fucking roost. So I'm, I'm sorry, this is me. This is where I go crazy. This is me ranting, Tarek. But like, um, wait, did we did Tarek freeze on us? It was a good point to freeze anyway. Um, but yes, it just like, that is what drives me so nuts is that you cannot, he, what what Trump thinks, I mean, uh, Biden thinks Trump invented like bigotry and, and Nazism. Lol. Well, the idea that he was inspired to run after Charlottesville has just always been so ludicrous to me. This, he had already yeah. run for president multiple times. It's, like, it's not like he finally was like, all right, you know, what? I think I'm going to try this thing. No, he was, he has wanted this for decades. That's yes. so, it's so disingenuous and cynical to try to use that. And this is, one woman's tragedy. Like, 
is this like a make a wish foundation for a president? Like, did we just like, is Biden's presidency just like the make a wish for an octogenarian? Like, yay, buddy, you got to be president. Uh, it it certainly feels that way. <laughs> there was a way to frame, there's a way to frame that joke a little bit better. But yes, um, Tark is struggling to come back in. But let's see, we have him back. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can't see you, but um, but I do want to just uh, thank you for coming on. Um, if we can hear you, I'll give you an opportunity to say any final thing you want to say. Yeah, I just want to say thank you again for having me. Um, love your show and appreciate everything you guys continue to do to elevate um, the importance of calling for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, ending the occupation, and giving Palestinians equal rights. Take good care. Thank you. And um, now we can continue to praise him as he is gone and it's less awkward. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, speaking about uh, billionaire white ladies, we do have one final segment. And I, I do want to talk about this because, Jordan, have you been privy yeah. to the amount of like preemptive flying off the handlebars that the right has been doing when it comes to Taylor Swift? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. But yes. Yes. They have decided that um, she, along with the U.S.-Mexico border, is the biggest threat to Americans somehow. Um, and they are the funniest thing about this is that they are they have realized that Taylor Swift is very popular, that she is, I guess, powerful, that when she buys a thing or she does a thing, that thing goes out, you know, like goes like out of stock or whatever. And they are begging her. Do not endorse Joe Biden. They are just, and, and, and they've been, there are multiple segments where they're like, you know, it'd be, it'd be a real shame if she just were to, and then there is the crazier takes, which are, she is a psyop. She is a deep state uh, agent who has been especially designed to vote and support Joe Biden. But not only that, even her relationship with a tight end for the chiefs, Travis Kelsey, I can't believe I got all those words, right? Um, that relationship has been designed by the deep state. Roger Goodell um, has thrown uh, some a hot a wet, wet blanket onto that theory. I think that just today he was like, uh, I don't know how to orchestrate anything. We're like, we know, buddy, except for making a lot of money off of um, CTE. So uh, <laughs> and domestic abuse, but and yes, and uh, punishing anyone who kneels for the anthem. But beyond that. They're freaking about a Taylor uh, about freaking out about Taylor Swift, and here we go with some Jesse Waters because Jesse Waters, and I'll tell you what I think about Jesse Waters. Jesse Waters has been going extra hard on Swift. Here we go. Deals from Miss Swift could be worth millions of dollars for Mr. Biden. One idea that has been tossed around a bit in jest: sending the president to a stop on Miss Swift's Eras tour. Now, to prime time, this feels a little bit like an arranged marriage. Biden doesn't even know who Taylor Swift is. Liberty and Bell had to beat some tough odds. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or 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 Britney's tour. She's down in it's kind of warm <laughs> in Brazil right now. Wait, wait, wait. Before we move on, Jesse Waters is playing this clip as evidence of Biden orchestra like maybe orchestrating a Taylor Swift endorsement <laughs> and Biden like, uh, the other one, the famous Brittany, it's hot in Brazil. Like, no, she doesn't even know. Who she is. So, well, he's going to try to spin this, I guess. 
Taylor, Brittany, Beyonce, Dylan, same thing. Dark Brandon doesn't get Dylan, by the way. Dylan Mulvaney, of course, uh, gotta gotta get a shot in at uh, a trans person. Bogged down on details. He can't name a Taylor Swift song. Taylor Swift can't name a Biden policy. This relationship was engineered in a lab. And Taylor's boyfriend's just like COVID. Sponsored by Pfizer. It is a match made in corporate heaven. So Travis Kelsey, I guess, did an ad for Pfizer, and now he's bought by uh, Pfizer. Pfizer boy. Anyway. Could you imagine if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? Now, look, Jordan, I am a Niners fan because I'm from the Bay. And so I feel conflicted because at the moment, right-wingers are like momentary Niners fans because they hate Taylor Swift. And they think that if Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, her like final form will be activated. (laughs) I don't know what will happen. I mean, I hope it'll rain plan B down on everybody. That would be amazing. <laughs> but, like, it is just so funny to me that they're freaking out about it. And, like, she really needs to fuck with them. Like, she needs to do some, like, like Instagram posts. She needs to freak them out a little bit more before this, before before everything. Yeah, it's it's so funny that the people who are all into, you know, the tr- the trad wife or cottage core aesthetic, like all these That's extreme true. online right-wingers who want this, like, really weird fascist, per- it's like milky white blonde couple with, like, 15 kids are upset by this, like, by these two specifically. It's like, aesthetically, isn't this, like, exactly what you want? And yeah. you still found a way to get mad about it because he wants people to get vaccinated. They just... They have to respond to any sort of cultural development with only looking at it through a a binary lens. Like, okay, it's either liberal or conservative, and I have to be on this side no matter what. Okay, well, he's got his vaccine. She endorsed Biden. Did she endorse Biden in 2020? Like, she, these are... Like, what, was in a photo with Biden cookies? Yeah, I'm assuming, because she's, like, not cool with fascism. Like, probably. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it's, anyway. It's just... Look, she's not going to do anything big or spectacular because she's a colossal enterprise. Like yeah. when her, they joked about it at the Grammys to go back to that god awful award show that you clearly watched. I did watch because I liked. I I I I told you. I like pretty. I, I like shiny. Yeah, I want to see. The, I want to <laughs> see the optics. I want to see who navigates, who handles their moment well, who handles their loss uh, uncomfortably. I like that. But they acknowledge like her tour improved like local economies on these stops yes it, she's a massive enterprise so they're not going to stick her out too far they're going to everything is high, like micromanaged everything is reviewed she's not going to do anything radical uh you know Paige is pointing out she told people to vote okay thank you yeah. do you remember in 2018 and that i think there was i think it was 2017 2018 there was a, a race in tennessee and she later on said, well, if I would have said anything, I would have endorsed the Democrat. Like, that's it. And it was something about abortion. Like, she she won't say anything too risky, anything too political. Maybe she'll endorse Biden, but nothing that warrants any real material concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I have a few thoughts on this whole Taylor Swift. So, okay, during the pandemic, things were dark, man. I got Tay pilled. I'm going to be straight up with you, all right? Folklore, (laughs) Evermore are great albums. I stand by those two albums. I don't love Midnight's. It's a little too poppy for me. I don't love her old stuff. Very poppy for me. But 
I did get tape healed. Then I started doing some digging. Then I started looking at her lyrics. She is, yeah, 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 white feminism, but she's also a feminist. Like she also believes in, you know, like abortion rights. And she also like makes fun of everyone who wants her to be like the trad wife. She like has some lyric about I'm not down with that 1950s shit. She once like sued a guy for touching her ass, but only collected a dollar just to clown on him. Like she's kind of tight in a lot of ways. Um, Like I'm not, I'm like, seriously, I, I think... And her songs, I don't know if it's her or her co-writer, they fucking hit, dog. Like, they don't miss. It's just, you, they like, you listen to her, like, I don't even love this, you know? Like, that's how Taylor Swift just sort of grows in you, just like a fucking Last of Us fungi. Um, and so I will say, I do think she's got some leverage and she's got some power. You know that because the right is scared. And I think she should use it. Why not? She should get people to vote. Of course, she should speak out for abortion rights. Um, and I think it's so funny because ultimately what MAGA knows, as Donald Trump has said that he thinks he's more popular than Taylor, I'm more popular than it. MAGA knows, no, he ain't. They know. <laughs> Motherfucker, motherfuckers leave his speech early. You think anyone, <laughs> anyone would leave a Taylor Swift concert early? Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> but oh, but they've heard all the hits. Yeah, same shit. No one's leaving a Taylor Swift concert early. A lot of MAGA voters leave Trump speeches early because they're like, we've seen it. We've heard it. We know the hits. I don't like the final one. There's a QAnon song now, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I just think it's so funny that they know that ultimately she eclipses him. You know, this is a, you know, paper cover rock type situation. I mean, to be clear, because I value my life in no way. <laughs> am i am i saying i don't like taylor swift as a person and i think she's great there's clearly I know something what's there in her heart i it seems as though a lot of people are confident in her who she is as a person and that's why they like her so much there's something there music's just not what i listen to so i don't i can't speak to her discography <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? her music right i'm telling you yeah, yeah, start, yeah. start with folklore evermore mm, it, it really it's good. It's soulful. I, I'm sure it, gets, it is. I just and I'm don't a, think I'm that's a Beyonce greater enjoy. than Tay. I'm a Beyonce greater than Swift, but I don't like, I don't discriminate, you know? Um, I mean, I am like Cardi B greater than Beyonce greater than Taylor. Like that's sort of where, how I roll. But um, Megan the Stallion greater than Nikki. Obviously, if there are any barbs in the comments, you guys can fuck off. Um, but yeah, it, it is so funny to me that they're freaking out about it. And I, I don't know. I don't know, Jordan. I mean, I do think that it's true that like, I think a lot of celebs not having a big, but if if Taylor Swift posts something about ceasefire, she did go to a Rami Youssef uh, stand-up show. We know that. Okay, so the seeds are planted. The seeds are planted. I'm sure Rami was talking water. about Gaza. We just, we just got to water. We just got to get to her. Okay. Um, this isn't to say that I don't think she should speak out i absolutely agree she should any people who ideally have our politics or share most of our politics and have that kind of a platform and that kind of an influence i think there's a moral obligation to do it unfortunately so many don't because once you reach that level of success you are just a business everything about your right, life is an right, enterprise right, right. and that's right. all like really fine-tuned so i i just don't have a lot of hope that she'll do anything beyond maybe a check your voter registration, which is like how most artists just do politics now. 
Yes. It'd be a lot cooler if she did more. And it's, obviously, ceasefire would be it great. Is true. I would welcome it. I just don't think so. We'll see. You know what? I got Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. I'm going to let you go and we can go fuck off in the night. But Beyonce, okay, I love my girl Beyonce. But like in 2018, I think when Beto was first running, right? against Was that when he was running against Cruz? Yeah, yes. I was a little bit like, okay, 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 Beyonce. Okay, it's a pretty big Senate election. Okay, let's go. Where is it? Where are we going? Where, what are we doing? What are we doing? And she, like, I think it was two days before the election, posted a photo of her with a hat that said Beto. Tell no. me. Francesca, it was two hours before the polls closed. <laughs> I'm telling you. I I, I, I'm telling that's you. a formative moment in my brain. It's, it's burned in. Two hours before polls close, she posted a picture of the Beto hat. You couldn't even get out to vote at that point. I'm telling Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, girl, that between that and the fact that your sound at SoFi was shit, like, we got to talk. But that moment, I was like, you know how helpful this would have been two weeks ago? You know how helpful this would have been. And it's like, it's... Mm, okay yeah don't don't make me don't make me turn on my girl beyonce but um jordan yule you're the best you're wonderful there's so much more to talk about and i i hope you come back and i know you'll come back i know you'll come back um Is that a threat <laughs> yeah kind of sounded like it um everybody listen to the insurgents podcast uh and read is this the newsletter i hate it here and i never want to leave it is. I just, I have had this the worst writer's block for months and I just like hate <laughs> writing right now. Join <laughs> so it's nothing, there's nothing new. It's just, it's brutal. All right. All right. Well, the insurgents podcast comes out every week. Is that correct? So that's right. Twice listen a week. To that. Oh shit, dude. I was on it recently. It was so fun. Yeah. Um, also Jordan laughs at my jokes, which, um, is kind of big. Like I appreciate that. I, I mean, I, I am obviously hilarious, but I think on that pod, I got you to laugh quite a lot. And I was like, fuck yeah, crushing it. Jordan thinks I'm like <laughs> um, um, So thank you for being a generous laugher. You're the best. You Take good care. Um, and everybody, thank you for being here. Thank you for sticking with us for this uh, wonderful and long and luscious show. Um, let's, uh, you know, read some comments and then um, go about our merry way. Um, Hal Wasserman says, yeah, that was a good show on Friday. It was. That was a good show. Um, Seafish, Franny, is there a place to submit merch graphics? I got a friend who's intending to make a Frantifa thing. Um, yeah, you can email bishiation at gmail.com. B-I-S-H-I-A-T-I-O-N. That is very cool. I would love to see that. Um, Willie Gus, there are plenty of carceral clinicians everywhere. Oh, speaking about like people who are nurses in prisons who are like, yep. Just uh, cleaning up what the prison guard did. Lizzie Bennett, thank you for your super chat. It'd be nice if Taylor Swift called for a ceasefire considering all the tension, all the intention she's been getting. Um, I mean, look, what's your number, right? 27,000 people killed. Maybe she's waiting for 30,000. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's a political statement at this point. It feels like it's like a, you know, a human statement at this point. Um, Donald James, thank you for being a member for two months on YouTube. Still riding the habituation wave. Let's go. Inviting Gale member for 10 months. Uh, Yule is cool. Franny is fire. <laughs> Click like for this icy hot edition. Permanent ceasefire now. Hashtag abolish police. Oh, you got all the things in there. And then Robert, as always, thank you for your super chat. Saying some plutocrats are religious zealots who believe God wants them to be rich. Plutocrats use the energy of the religious right because their willingness to embrace social violence and direct action. True. Yes, there's a fun little 
or unfun nexus there. Matt Gates on Whitefoot Bronco, what's up? Says Governor Abbott is like Dr. Claw, the villain in, in the Inspector Gadget. Endless resources, cartoonishly evil, sitting unseen at a desk, except Abbott can't get a pussycat because of a dead wee-wee and being evil. <laughs> Here's the thing. It is not okay to make fun of people who are in wheelchairs, period. Dot, dot, dot. Unless you're Greg Abbott. I'm sorry. That's the rule. If you are that evil, there's a, it's a high bar. But, like, don't expect me to go easy on you. I'll wheel your ass off a fucking cliff. Seriously. <laughs> You're fucking evil. I don't give a shit. Uh, he almost... The reason he's in a wheelchair is because God missed, dude. He, he got hit by a tree. He got hit by... God was like, ah, damn it. You know what I'm saying? All right, I'm done. Cheshire SB, thank you for your super chats. Violence and bankruptcy is all they understand. Poor education made them that way. Um, indeed. Uh, oh, so many, so many comments, so many good comments. But Camperman 5000, thank you for being a member. I got to prioritize the member comments. Um, going strong says, Fran on a France might be my favorite Fran. Love you, love your show. Truth to power. Yeah, indeed. And uh, as always, thank you so much, Todd Roy, for being, being here, being a a mod camperman also says the biden staffers got Tarek. biden staff got Tarek. i don't know i don't know what that means um joe biden jenks raging emotions member for three months says joe biden the absent-minded professor is so mentally declined that he's able to orchestrate a deep state nfl taylor swift psyop maga pick one honestly is he sleepy or is he a crime boss you can't have it both ways um Sean Buford rem reminds us, aren't conservatives supposed to hate San Francisco as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and the Schmoopy Dragon on Twitch. Folklore greater than evermore, though. Uh, yes. Yes. Of course. It's, it is poppier. But, like, it depends on your mood. I think evermore has got, I don't know. I think it's more like if you want the beat, if you want to flip over the record. You know what I'm saying? Um, did you... Ghost Army of Bots on Twitch, the New York Times is like a wasp laying its eggs in their readers. <laughs> true. True. Um, all right, guys, let's thank everybody. You know, if you are a patron at $10 or more, you get a shout out. And I've been told that lately you can't hear my shout outs because the fart song is so overpowering. So I will attempt to rectify this um, and shout out all the patrons at 10 bucks or more, or at least who've joined recently. And I apologize if I didn't say your name, uh, but here we go. You wonderful people, like Bilal Khan, Sarah Prokopi, just Sarah. Let's forget I pronounced your last name. Elizabeth Emming, and Sammy Elkari. You're wonderful, Sammy. Thank you so much for becoming patrons. You guys are the best. And over on Twitch to Late Bloomer 66 for resubscribing at Tier 1. Punch Up Dragon also who subscribed. And Willie Gus who resubscribed for one month at Tier 1. Um, support the show. Also, thank you to all the, all the people uh, who are here and who are there and who are everywhere. That ended exactly the way I needed it to end. Thank you so much to Maximilian Inhoff, to Andy Vasoyan, but most of all, to my lovely and wonderful and incredibly smart producer who does everything and it came with me to San Francisco, to Paige Omek. Where would I be without you? You're wonderful. Everybody give love to Paige.
Remember, we stream every Tuesday and Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. And as a podcast, you can listen after the fact. Follow the show on all the things on Twitter at Bituation Pod, uh, TikTok and Instagram at Bituation Room. Um, and uh, I think that's all my announcements. Remember to uh, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, free Palestine, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye. Bye.